take your Bibles, turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book in the Old Testament. It's required when you're a preacher and you're going to preach out of Malachi that you make the following joke. It is the Italian prophet Malachi's last prophecy. It gets worse every time I tell it, doesn't it, all right? Malachi chapter 3. Today I want to talk about one activity in the Bible that can bring priceless joy while at the same time benefiting and blessing everyone around you. That the same activity can open the windows of heaven, make God's glory shine through your life and expand the kingdom of God. This one activity can also protect you from envy and jealousy and greed and materialism and self-centered living. One single activity. Over the next couple of weeks, last week and these next two weeks, we're talking about what it means to be generous. And the idea for that for us comes from a series of messages we did about two, three years ago where we talked about the fact that if we live in this country, if we're able to drive to this church, if we have a roof over our head, a garage, and are able to eat on a regular basis, that we in this country exist and was one of the richest people in the history of the world. We've used kind of a basis over the last three years to think about generosity in our own church a passage that Paul wrote to Timothy. I believe we have that up on the screen here. 1 Timothy 6, 17-18 says, Instruct those who are rich in this present age, which, that's you, not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And then these are the commands to us. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, and then finally, to be generous and willing to share. So last week we began talking about the things that make Jesus angry and how that generosity is the way that we live in a way that glorifies God is one of the ways that we live to follow Christ. And so over the next two weeks, what we want to do is put some practicality to that. Okay, so what does that mean? What does it mean to be generous? And before we dive into our passage of scripture today, I thought I would give you kind of some biblical understanding of the word generosity or generous. In fact, there are two main words in the Old Testament and two main words in the New Testament that describe what being generous is all about. The first word picture in the Old Testament of what it means to be generous, the first word that is there means to saturate. Now, when we think about being generous, we don't think about saturating. But the picture literally is of taking a towel and dipping it into water until it sucks up all the water so much that it is full. And when you pick it up, it is just dripping with water. No Testament, when they talk about generosity or being generous, that word is used again and again that we are to saturate people. The second one is similar to that. It's not saturating like a towel. It is filling to overflow. It's a picture of a jar of water and you have pouring it into a glass. And instead of stopping when it gets close to the top, you just keep pouring and it starts just overflowing. It's a picture I get of, I don't know, hypothetically, a five or six year old deciding to get their own drink. And getting the milk out. 
getting a small cup and that big milk jug and pouring it in and and the milk just overflowing everywhere. Those are the Old Testament pictures, saturating something with water, filling to overflow. New Testament has two words that are a little bit different, and at the end I want to kind of bring them all together. But the New Testament has two words. One is to be on the lookout. The picture literally is, is a watchman looking around, constantly surveying the land. And the idea from that in generosity is that we need to constantly be looking for places where we can bless people, where we can help people. It's not something that we think, oh, do I have to? It is we are actively pursuing ways to bless people with what we've been blessed with. And then the fourth one, which is possibly my favorite picture in Scripture of what generosity is, is a word that means open-handed. Open-handed. An obvious picture that whatever I have is up to be used. The New Testament description of that literally is that we do not live with a closed fist, but we live with an open hand. I like to play the game sometime with my kids where I take an object that they want and I put it in my hand. And they try to pry open my hand, right? I'm not going to mention any names, but for some of us, that's what generosity feels like. We got our hands wrapped around what we own and somebody's got to pry it open to release it. What a difference it makes when my kid comes to me and instead of a closed fist, I said, here's whatever you want. And it's open handed. So for us over the next couple of weeks, I want to give you kind of a definition of what generosity is or what it means to be generous so that we can Think through this so that we can act according to this. Generosity is living life, always on the lookout, always looking around, that binoculars kind of watching, that on the lookout for opportunities to overflow into someone else's life. That we are consistently looking for opportunities to give, to help, to serve, so that we overflow into someone else's life. Now, the truth is, most of us don't live our lives that way. We think about how much we have to give. We think about how much we can keep. Instead of generosity being open-handed, for us, it's more like, let me see what I've got down. Okay, here. I was thinking about this this week. uh, Our nephew... um, Got engaged this week to be married. It's a beautiful thing. We're excited about seeing him at Thanksgiving. He lives um, in northern Alabama as a worship leader down there. But when I came into the family a few years ago now, he was just little. And I was the cool uncle, right? And so before Susan and I had kids, we would go to his brother's football games. And uh, in fact, this was even before, one of the story I'm about to tell you is even before we got married and we went to visit her family so they could meet me and we could have, you know, a weekend. And we went to his brother's, played football and we went to that game. And he looked at me and knowing where to go to ask for things, he said, can we go get some candy? Now, he obviously didn't ask his parents because they had told him, No, but Lyle, who's trying to get in good with the family, is going to do whatever he can to be cool with this kid. So I took him to the concession stand. We went up there. His particular candy of choice was M&M's. 
So I said, I'll take a pack of M&M's, forked over my money for the M&M's, gave him the M&M's. We started to walk back. He opens M&M's. He starts to eat the M&M's. And I say, hey, Caleb, can I have one? And he looks at me and says, no. I said, Caleb, can I? He goes, no, they're mine. And I went, okay, that's fine because I really like your your aunt and we're going to get married someday and I don't want to cause them. But inside I'm going, who bought that for you, Right. Who gave those M&M's to you? A lot of us are like Caleb with the M&M's when it comes to our resources before God. Now, I just want to say something real quickly, all right? Anytime you start down a path of the path that I'm starting down right now, I can almost cut the tension in the room with a knife. Now, first of all, we could talk about what that really says about where our hearts are, that you get more nervous about talking about money than anything else in life. I got one amen there. And I got lots of nervous laughter after that. All right, like, uh. But I want to look at it today from a perspective in Malachi that helps us to see why it's good for us. The first thing is it helps us to conform to who Jesus is. If we are to be who God is, if the goal of our lives is to someday attain to the place where we are living our lives like Jesus, that's what discipleship means, then we want to be like Him. And there is no better place in the Bible to look to what it means that Jesus is generous, that God is generous, that we serve a generous God, than the verse of Scripture that is perhaps the most well-known verse of Scripture in all of the Bible. That the verse, verse that most of our kids learn. For God loved the world in this way. That he what? Gave. He didn't give a little bit, did he? He didn't reach into his pocket and say, how little do I have to give? He gave his best. He gave his all. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we're going to talk about today, what does it mean to be generous? Over the next two weeks, I want to tell you that there are one major point to each sermon over the next two weeks. We're going to play those out a little bit, but they come together to a description of what generosity looks like when played out in our life. And it's simply this, that generosity, being generous, is always a portion and sometimes a sacrifice. Being generous in our lives always is a portion And sometimes is a sacrifice. Now, we've come so far from what we understand biblical generosity to be that we think always a portion is a sacrifice. Well, I'm really sacrificed and I'm given every week or every month or every two weeks. But scripture is going to teach us that always a portion is normal. And sometimes a sacrifice is normal. Malachi chapter 3, starting... In verse 8. This is the last communication God has with his people in the interim before Jesus would come in Matthew chapter 1. And on his heart and on his mind is their faithfulness to him and how they are precluding themselves from seeing the glory and the majesty of God. And he says in verse 8, will a man rob God yet you are robbing me? How do we rob you, you ask? He goes on to say. By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions, you are suffering under a curse. Yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. 
I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce food, says the Lord of armies. This morning, using this passage of scripture, I just want to answer three basic questions. Some of these are questions that you know the answers to. And for some of you in this room, it is not a question of if you are Um, If you understand these three principles or these three questions, it's whether or not you're obeying them, whether or not you're doing what you know to do. The first question I want to ask is, why should I give a portion? Why? I just want to answer the question, why? Now, the truth is, we could do a whole series of messages on that. I could do several messages on it, but I just want to look at what this particular passage of Scripture tells us. The first thing we see in this passage of scripture is that God's activity is fueled by the giving of his people. God's activity is fueled by the giving of his people. So the first reason that we want to give is because we want to fuel the activity of God. He says in there, bring the whole tithe. Now, here's the thing. The word bring there is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an offering of something you might think about. It is a command. Bring the whole tithe. Tithe. Where tithe is a Hebrew word that means 10%. And I know the questions that come sometimes from those of us that are in New Testament churches after the cross, after the Christ, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, people say, wait a minute, that's the Old Testament, that's the law. What about the New Testament? What about grace? Well, we're not in the law, we're under grace. Well, the first thing I want you to understand is this practice is not intended to restrict us. This practice is intended for our good. You see, God is not needy. You realize that, right? God is not needy. He is not up in heaven having someone calculate the totals of every church's giving, hoping it's going to be a good day. He's not checking a bank account to see if everything's in there that ought to be in there. He doesn't need us. In fact, the Psalms, it says, earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Can I tell you a secret here? When you can speak something out of nothing, need is not a problem. Now, some of you will get that later today. When you can speak and something comes out of nothing, you don't have a need. Right? So why in the world does he ask us to give? Well, there are lots of reasons, but one of them is he's inviting us to participate in what he is doing. He's giving us an opportunity to be a part of his activity. God, in his sovereignty, has chosen to work through his people and their giving. It is very similar to how God works in prayer. I've said this before. God, in his sovereignty, has chosen to limit his activity to the prayers of his people. God, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. God can do actually anything he wants to do. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And yet, Scripture makes it clear again and again and again that he often waits for the prayers and the activity of his people to move. And if you look at any great movement of God in the history of the world, it is a study in the history of answered prayers. 
And if we want to see God move in a mighty way in our church, which I hope is the hope and prayer of every single person in this room, if we want to see God make a mighty move in our church, it will begin when God's people pray. In the same way, it will begin when God's people trust Him and give. I got about eight amens on the prayer. I got two on the gift. Now, I don't know what percentages are, but that's not good. Percentages, right? Charles Stanley said it this way. I quote Charles' son a lot. Charles is pretty good himself. Charles says, God provides for his people through his people. Can I tell you something? I've done a disservice to you at times because I've asked you to give to this church. And the truth is, what I'm really asking you to do each time we ask you to give to a church is to give through this church. Because God does amazing works when his people prayerfully seek him and then give as they're called to give for the glory of his name and the spread of his kingdom. I want you to think about it. Have you been blessed at all by what's happened in this church in your life? Now, some of you may be here for the first time and you say, well, that question's up for debate. Well, I'll tell you in a few minutes. But most of us in this room, I've been a part of this church for over 10 years. Many of you in this room go a lot longer than me on that. Maybe this is the place where you were saved. Maybe not this exact building, maybe it was another building. But this was the church, the group of people where you were saved. Maybe this is the place where you grew in your faith. Where you saw things happen. Maybe this is the place where your marriage that was rocky at one time was saved or strengthened. Maybe this is a place that you fought sound deliverance. The truth is that anything that happens in this church happens because the people of this church give to see it happen. We're 100% self-funded. Now, that may not be actually true. We may be like 99.8% self-funded because every once in a while, someone will send in a memorial gift that is outside this congregation. But for the most part, the highest percentage, we are 100%, we're like ivory soap, right? 99.9%. So anything that happens because of this church, it happens because the people of this church have graciously given to this church. So right now, while we're speaking, there are Sunday school classes, Bible studies going on in the curriculum, and those Sunday school classes and those Bible studies are funded by people that give on a regular basis to this church. As we speak right now, in East Tennessee, there are 50 of our youth that are singing praises to the name of Jesus, learning who Jesus is and what it means to follow Him. Adults that are there working with them, then they paid part of their way. But a lot of what was done for them this weekend was done because the people of this church came together and said, I want to give through this church to see God's glory done. VBS and Centrikid happen every summer. This past summer, because of those two things that you helped fund and put together, happened. We saw six of our young people accept Jesus in one night. There's a church in and around Lynch, Kentucky, that has benefits from this church that give through this church to help them to start a place in one of the poorest areas of the country and able to hear about Jesus Christ and His love for them. Tonight, there'll be... Women, think is the plan, that'll be down in our gym because they don't have anywhere else to sleep tonight. 
The Room in the Inn program that we provide for people that are homeless in this place, in this city, happens because you have chosen to graciously give a portion on a regular basis through this church to minister to them. And when they come, yes, they're going to get food provided by Sunday school classes, but they're also going to get the gospel presented to them tonight. Right across the street and down the street is a help center that helps people that is growing in number in our area that are in need physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And when you give here, a portion of what you give goes to help in those areas. We've seen ministries in Los Angeles, California, reach people that were far from God. We talked about the next door ministries downtown. Grace Story Church in Nashville that is being helped by things that you are funding through here. We're going to talk about people coming into the future. Denver, Colorado and other areas where God is calling us to help people that are carrying the gospel to the nations. We're a part of a network of churches that we call a convention that is literally impacting the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ in North America and in our all over the world. I told our people on Wednesday, and maybe you saw this on the news, but the Southern Baptist Convention, even in the midst of tragedy, is a great place to see God's movement of churches when you give, and part of that funding goes to the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is able to pool together, and they are the ones providing the expenses for the funerals for the people in the church in Sutherland Springs. Just everywhere you can imagine. When you give here, it goes through here to impact the nations. Where else are you giving that's having that kind of eternal impact? I'm not talking about that there aren't great places to help people. And there are. And we need to support places that help people. But where else are you investing that has eternal impact? God provides for his people through his people. The second reason we give is that the lack of giving robs God and limits my involvement in his activity. That's what it says right here, right? Why are you robbing me? Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. And they said, how are we robbing you? And he says, by not making your payments, not doing the tenth, not doing your contributions. Now look this week at what that word rob means there, because there are actually three words in the Old Testament that are translated as rob. The first one is a word that means to rob by force, like armed robbery. This is not that word. The second one is to rob by oppression. You think like extortion, like exerting influence to rob. That's not this word. This word means to rob by deception, by fraud. A modern understanding of it is to embezzle. To take what is not rightfully yours and use it for personal gain. God says that when you refuse to give, refuse to offer to him, you are embezzling God's money. The word embezzle means to take for personal use money or property that has been given on trust by others without their permission. And what God has done is given us Everything we have, and we, when we use it for personal use, are using it without his permission. But the big deal of that is we don't get to be a part of what he's doing. We're robbing ourselves. God's going to accomplish his work. But man, I want to be a part of seeing him do it in our time, in our generation. So the first question is, why do we give? We give because to not give means that we 
aren't participating in the activity fueled by God's people. And secondly, because it tells us that to not give is to rob God. What then is the second question? The second question is, how much should I give? All of it. No, I'm just kidding. That's not what I'm saying. Some of you got real nervous for a minute. This is where we talk about. Always a portion, sometimes a sacrifice. What does God say here in Malachi chapter 3? He mentions a tenth a couple of times. By not making the payments of the tenth, you are suffering under a curse. You're robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse. People again say, wait, wait, wait a minute. That's the law. That's the law. That's the Old Testament. The tithe is never seen in the New Testament. The word tithe is not used in the New Testament. And I would say to you, you are right about that. But... First of all, it's an understanding that the tithe is not a new phenomenon with the law. It was four to five hundred years before the law when Abraham used a tenth of his materials and he gave it to Melchizedek as an offering to God. The law just included a principle of what ought to happen. Now, it is in the law. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 16 verse 17. It says, everyone must appear with a gift suited to his means according to the blessing the Lord your God has given you. He says, everyone come according to what God's given you and you present an offering to the Lord. But it's also in the New Testament. This is Acts eleven twenty nine. Each of the disciples, that's New Testament disciples, after the resurrection of Jesus, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. A lot of people think that at the background of Acts eleven twenty nine is Deuteronomy sixteen seventeen, where they're still living out this principle that as we have been blessed, we are to give. Throughout the history of the relationship of God with his people, his people have given a portion. And it's not a requirement of the law, it's a privilege of the relationship. Matthew 6, I kind of mentioned this a minute ago, says, Don't lay up for yourself treasures where? On earth, where rust and moth destroy, right? Everything here decays. It just happens. Our bodies, nobody gave me an oh no even on that one, feeling it right. Our minds, our memories, our cars, our houses. Now I haven't had a brand new car in quite a while. I've only had one in my life we bought. You know what I loved about it? That new car smell. You know what I'm talking about, right? There's a smell, and you can never duplicate that smell. I mean, you can get the things that you stick in your air vents that's supposed to give it that smell. Nothing gives that smell. He says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth and all things destroy. But do what? Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. It's an investment. And the New Testament principle is... That 10% is the place we start. Randy Alcorn says this. Every New Testament example of giving goes far beyond the tithe. However, none falls short of it. 10% is the starting point for a New Testament understanding of giving. And some people kind of, wait, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not at 10%. I'm not at 1%. I don't know that I could jump immediately to 10%. Here's what I would say. Yes, between you and God, you figure that out. You find a conviction. Find a place to start. If that's 2%, 3%, 4%, take it off the top. And then ask the Lord to give you the benefits of being able to go more. But always, 
a portion. We're not talking about sacrifice here, by the way. We'll talk about that next week. That's a good way to clear out next week's service, right? We're not talking about sacrifice. We're talking about the portion part. Always a portion. Floor is 10% New Testament. And then the third thing is, question, can I afford it? Here's the truth. As I read the scripture, I've come to the conclusion that I can't not afford it. That's double negative, I know. Some of you English teachers are going nuts. It's all right. Because as we live generously, we invite the generosity of God into our lives. Can I tell you what's unique about Malachi 3 among all of Scripture? Is a little phrase that comes in chapter 10 right in the middle. So he tells them to bring the full tenth in the storehouse so there may be food in my house. The idea there is bring the tenth so that we can use it to bless people. And then he says this, test me in this way. It's the only time in Scripture where God says, test me. Just test me. Just see. And then he tells them that if they do, I will open the floodgates of heaven, pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer so that it will not take. He says, I will give you what you don't already have, and I will make what you have go further. Now, I want to be real clear. This is not a give to get. This is not give a hundred, get a thousand dollars this week in the mail. This is not prosperity gospel. But what it is saying is that there is something about the principle of God that you cannot outgive my father. You just can't do it. And this isn't the only place in the Bible that this principle is taught. We see throughout the Bible this idea that when you give to the Lord, you receive in return more than you could ask, more than you could imagine. And for many of us, it would be a blessing if that wasn't in our bank accounts. Because we don't use that that well anyways. The blessing comes in a variety of ways. Look at Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your entire harvest. Then... Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first produce. Then your barns will be completely filled and your vats will overflow. See that word overflow, filled to overflowing with new wine. All right. Or it tells us this in 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. It concludes saying this. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow. It's a picture of overflowing water. So that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. You know what I see in this verse over and over again? Is the word every. Now we talk sometimes about the word all, and all means all. Every means every. Every grace will overflow in every way, having everything you need in every good work. The idea is that God blesses us, and I want you to see this at the end, and then we're going to finish up. At the end, what you see is that the reason we are blessed, the reason God gives us this blessing, the reason that when we invest in the things of God, when we give a portion every time, when it is a part of who we are, that we give a portion of what we receive, what we see is that the reason for that is to bless us, yes, in every way. Why? So that we may excel in doing what? In being the conduits through whom God blesses the world. In every good work. I love the song that the uh, senior adult choir sang for offertory today. 
onward Christian soldiers marching as to war. Can I tell you something? As I was sitting there listening to them sing it, and they did a great job with it. I was backstage listening. One of the things that I thought about is, there is no better way to continue marching onward for the Lord in His army than by giving on a regular basis towards the things He is already doing in the world. Now that's not necessarily the picture we get when we sing that song. I don't necessarily get the picture of us standing up and pulling out the wallet and put the money in the plate. But I think it's an accurate picture of what it looks like to go to war. Because as we give, as we surrender, God uses us to bless the world. What does it mean to live a generous lifestyle? It means it's always a portion and sometimes a sacrifice. I think that for many people in our, in our culture, they never really think of it that way. Even in our church culture. They think that always a portion is always a sacrifice. And when we do that, when we think that we don't have to give, that sometimes we give a portion, occasionally we give a portion, what we think is everything I have belongs to me. It's an improper attitude towards things. But when we are always giving a portion, what we are saying is, God, my hands are open. They are yours. Everything already belongs to you. Do with it as you please. I just ask you to pray about whether or not God is calling you to maybe up your portion or begin always giving a portion. Let's pray together.